welcome to episode 113 of the Conversations with Ross podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Aya Cash. Aya is an actress who is currently starring on FX's new comedy, You're the Worst, which you can catch Thursday nights at 1030. Aya, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. I'm happy to be here, meaning talking to you. (laughs) Well, let's start at the beginning. Tell me what initially attracted you to acting in the first place. You know, I started acting uh, in high school. Basically, I had gone to private school on scholarship uh, my entire life. And uh, when we got to high school, we didn't have enough money. They didn't give us a good scholarship. So my mom said, well, you got to go to the arts high school because you're a tiny person and I don't want you to get beat up at the public school, which is probably overprotective on their part. But uh, they said, uh, you need to get into the arts high school. So what do you want to do? And I decided to try acting. What are your other options at the arts high school? Singing, uh, which I had done. I was in San Francisco Girls Choir for years, but I was sort of over it. I um, was not as excited about singing anymore. And uh, I think you could do visual arts. You could do tech. You could do uh, dance, which I cannot do. So that wasn't an option. Uh, and uh, I chose acting because my friend was auditioning for the acting program. I was like, oh, okay, I'll do that. And I rehearsed every day my monologue from In the Boom Boom Room by David Rabe, which was wildly inappropriate for a 14-year-old. And I uh, ended up getting in. So acting for everyone starts as a recreation. You're doing plays in high school or whatever. How does it go from a recreation to a career? My high school had a Shakespeare program where you would sort of do a Shakespeare monologue and you participated in these competitions uh, that went from the local level to the national level. And I started doing that competition and ended up uh, getting flown to New York to perform at Lincoln Center. And that was very, very exciting. I did it two years in a row. Didn't win either time, the national competition. Uh, But I thought, oh, wow, acting is uh, the opportunity to travel as well. And I thought that would be really fun. Um, And then I think I sort of just kept going with it because it seemed like things were going well and it seemed... Uh, like a a good plan to go to college for something that was going to be fun and silly. And then, of course, I got to college, and it's much more serious to do acting in college. And I almost got kicked out of my program the first year uh, for just falling asleep in class and not taking it seriously. And when they sort of gave me a warning, I realized, oh, no, I really want to do this, and I want to be good at it, and I want to work at it. So I ended up doing doing better and working harder. And that's when I sort of knew I wanted to really be a professional actor. My dad has a story of when I was like 12 years old, before I even went to the high school, um, saying that we were watching Star Trek The Next Generation. And I pointed to the TV and I said, I'm going to do that one day. And my dad like says this as if this was the moment I decided I was going to be an actor. But I, I could have been saying space travel. So <laughs> no, I don't remember that. Some of the actors who have come on have talked about the difference between being a working actor in New York and being an actor in Los Angeles. You're based in New York right now. Tell me about the differences you found between acting in New York and acting in L.A. I mean, I've never lived in L.A. without a job, sort of on purpose. Uh, I think you sort of pick which city that you feel most at home. And I always loved New York. On my spring break, I used to come to New York. Um, and I was completely in love with the sort of romantic ideal of the city and coming and being a, 
a struggling artist. I even sort of responded to the idea of being a, a waitress. I was like, that's glamorous. That's what you do, you know? And I came and I had no money and nothing and no contacts. And um, I managed to sort of enjoy that part of my life as well. Uh, I think my, both my parents are artists and uh, neither made a lot of money. So that was never the goal. I wanted to do regional theater and live in New York and and you can actually sort of take a life here doing that. You don't make a lot of money, but you make enough to get by. Uh, L.A., I feel like, is just a city that I respond to less as a person. I don't like driving so much. I didn't get my driver's license until two years ago. Um, and it's very intimidating. Uh, the sort of film and TV world was very scary to me. So I chose New York because it felt like there, I could find a community there. Uh, now I feel like you can find a community every anywhere, but uh, at the time when I was just getting out of school, I thought, you know, New York is where my people are, um, and it turned out to be a great choice because I really enjoyed living here, and now I just go to L.A. for work, and that's very fun, uh, sort of change of pace, but I don't know if I'll ever live, live there. I want to ask about your current project, You're the Worst. Tell me about the show and how the part came to be for you. So the show is written by a man named Stephen Falk, who is a mad genius. And I had met with him the year before I first auditioned for You're the Worst on another project of his. Um, and we had a great conversation at a Starbucks in L.A. And uh, then I was actually cast in something else and not available for his project. But uh, I really liked him. So as soon as the project came up, I recognized his name, and I was like, oh, that's that guy I really, you know, thought was very smart and funny and, and just an interesting dude. He's also from the Bay Area, which we had a point of connection. And so I read the script and loved the script, thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever read. Um, and then I just went in, and my first audition, I, um, I shamed him at the beginning of the audition because he had unfollowed me on Twitter. <laughs> I was like, is this awkward for you that, like, I'm coming in for you and you unfollowed me on Twitter? Like, that must be so hard for you and embarrassing. He was like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> um, but uh, luckily, he didn't hold it against me. And uh, it took a few auditions. But Stephen is the reason that I have this job. Um, FX was not as sure about me at first. And, and after my first test, said, we're not sure if she's the girl. And Stephen said, well, I know she is. So what do you need to see? You know, let's give her some notes. And I ended up retesting at the Orange is the New Black offices in New York by myself with Stephen just on tape to sort of give them another color of the character that they felt like was lacking in the first audition. And then they said, all right, all right, if you, if you take responsibility for her, you can have her, Stephen. Oh, what a mess. That must be such a terrible thing where, in, in part, it's great, where you have the show creator say, I want you for this role. The person that created the characters in the world says, you're the right person for this role. But then you go and test for the network and they say, eh, not so much. What is that feeling like? It's devastating and it's happened before. And normally the creator loses. And I think it's actually a testament to FX and how they deal with their creators that they gave me a second shot and that they ultimately let me have the part because they believed in Steven and they believed in his vision. And that's pretty impressive. Uh, there's very few stories that end up with you getting the job that start out with the network's not really sure about you. Um, and I think that's kind of, 
working for FX has been so amazing, and I think that's sort of an example of why they're so amazing, is they, they were willing to take a second look because they believe in, in the investment they've made in the creators of their shows. Um, so that was, that was a good thing. But Steven teases me all the time. I was so depressed at the second test. I was like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll go open an antique store. I don't know. I, you know, I was very down <laughs> and I just was convinced that no, no amount of me auditioning would change a network's mind because I'd had that experience before. So it was great that they let me do it. Um, and it's, it's really Steven who, who made that push. Well, since he gave you the part and he fought for you, has he decided to refollow you on Twitter at this point? Oh yeah, no, we're back. We're back as Twitter friends. <laughs> okay, that's good. We wouldn't want that to come to an end. The show is unique in that it basically focuses on two individuals, uh, you and your opposing character, and you are damaged individuals. You say and do terrible things to other people, which is where a lot of the comedy comes from. But at its heart, it's a love story, which I imagine is how Stephen probably pitched this. Do you feel like at this heart of the show, it's a love story, despite all of the <laughs> damaged components of the characters? Absolutely. And I feel like that's, the show has a lot of heart which I feel like is what keeps people coming back. Um, I, uh, I think Stephen, I feel like I might be misquoting him, but I think he, he pitched it as like this generation's mad about you, which might not sound sort of like the show. Because two horrible people, you know, there's graphic sex, there's, you know, harsh language. Uh, but I mean, Stephen's a total romantic, and I think that comes through in the show and sort of has you rooting for these guys despite their sort of narcissistic tendencies and um, their bad behavior. Uh, they, there is someone for everyone, and these two are for each other in a way. Do you think that this is a good relationship? I, I think it's a good relationship for them. I don't think anyone else would survive this relationship. Um, but I think for them, it, it works. And I think they keep, um, trying to fight the fact that it works so well because they're so used to being in relationships where the other person sort of can't handle them and, um, all their, all their naughtiness and these, these two match. Um, so I, I think it's a great relationship and it's certainly fun to play. I, I don't know if I'd want to be dating uh, Jimmy in real life, but it's certainly fun to fall in love with him. Uh, not that Gretchen would say that. We're not in love. It, you know, it's fun to do that on screen. Tell me about Gretchen's apartment and what the, what they told you about that was going to be like when you started shooting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was warned that she was a total mess. Uh, it's funny because when I was growing up, uh, there's actually a photo that is in a, a, a book the name I will not mention, and I do not want people to find it. But there is a photo of me as a 15-year-old in my room that looks like a bomb exploded. Um, and so I'm not uh, so unfamiliar with living in uh, in filth. Uh, I've been a messy person my whole life. Now I now I keep it together. <laughs> now I I clean up after myself. Uh, but it was definitely something that I learned later in life. So I don't judge her messiness. I get it. I want to ask you about a few of your past roles. You were on a show called Traffic Light, which I liked a lot. I'm curious, when you got Traffic Light, you were a, you were a series regular on the show. Uh, that was a Fox show, I believe. They put heavy advertising into it at first. When you got that part, did you feel like, well, this is it. This is my job for the next six years. You know, no, 
but that's because of sort of who I am as a human being. I just always think of every job as finite. I also come from, uh-oh, we've got a siren. I, I come from the theater world, so you're constantly uh, doing a show, and then it's over, and it's done after three months. Um, so I just sort of think of everything as as a short-term gig, because I, I've also seen all my friends sort of hop on shows and buy new cars and then get canceled. And I just, I don't think like that. Uh, I sort of take it one day at a time. So I, I was never like, this is it, I'm done. It's all taken care of for me. I saved my money and I lived off that for years because the following year I just did theater for the entire year, which pays very little. And I was able to afford to do that by the, the money I made on traffic lights. Um, it was also my first time being a series regular and I was so overwhelmed and terrified. And luckily I was working with a really lovely human being. Um, but it's a scary thing. Uh, and the pressure of it was, was scary as well as the idea that it could be a success is also just as scary as the idea that it could be a failure. Um, because, you know, I, I like my life and I like, um, I like the world that I've created for myself as an adult and, and the idea of something like being on the next glee uh, is also terrifying because your life gets taken over. Um, so it's, it's a mixed bag. Of course, you're insanely grateful uh, for any job, uh, but it was definitely, it was, I was definitely conflicted in a way that I wouldn't expect to be because I worked my butt off trying to get that job. Um, and then you get it and you're like, what have I done? <laughs> Um, but and who do they think I am and am I going to be good enough for this and luckily everyone on Traffic Light was just good people um, so they took care of me Was Traffic Light a situation it was your first time as a series regular so many of the actors or actresses that have come on have talked about they get a series regular on shows that go for two or three years and they think at that point well at least I'm not going to have to audition anymore. Things will be different from this point going forward. And they're all so surprised that after the show, they just go back into the pile, that there's like no difference with them after the show. Did you find that to be the case with Traffic Light? I, I feel like uh, I've seen enough people fail uh, and have success and then fail again. But I, I think it's actually, it's untrue that it doesn't change things. What it does is if you look back, I can see huge changes in my career that happens in traffic light. Uh, the couple months after traffic light or the year after traffic light, it wasn't like offers were rolling in, but there are still jobs that come up or are helped by the fact that I did traffic light. Um, and I think if you, if it's like uh, my dad had a traumatic brain injury a couple of years ago and the doctors were like, don't look at it uh, day to day because you won't see changes. Look at it month to month, week to week, year to year what those changes are. And I think if you look at your career that way, you can see huge differences and strides. But if you look day to day, yes, I'm still auditioning. I'm still getting rejected. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that I've done something that is ultimately going to help me. Another show you appeared on uh, semi-regularly was The Newsroom. Did you interact with Aaron Sorkin at all? And tell me about how he ran his set, if so. Uh, yeah, he comes to every rehearsal. And uh, he tells you if you missed a comma. And uh, I think I was incredibly intimidated because West Wing is m one of my favorite shows of all time. But I also respond well to structure, and I sort of love the way of working of having to stick exactly to the script and to uh, 
to realize the writer's vision in the way that he has envisioned it. And um, uh, so I, I loved it. And he was a, a very lovely man and and very nice to me, as was everyone on that show. So it was a very good experience. Is that the most controlled work environment you've ever been in? Uh, I would say yes. Although, again, in theater, you have to stick word for word on everything as well. Uh, so in that way, it's very similar. And, you know, he, he is a collaborator and allows Alan Poole directed most of my stuff, who um, is the uh, is sort of his partner on that show. And uh, Alan, you know, had just as much input and there was real collaboration there. Uh, Newsroom was super, super fun. I want to ask you about Wolf of Wall Street. You were in that. You played Leo's assistant. Tell me about that set and how Martin Scorsese interacts with his actors. You know, I was on that set for like two months. Uh, I'm just sort of, you know, I have a small part in the film, but I was there for a long time, uh, which was really cool. Um, everyone, again, I, I feel like I'm just repeating myself, like, everyone's great. And that sounds like a lot of bullshit, but it's not. I, I had such a wonderful time on that. Um, and I was mainly around uh, a group of sort of sketch stand-up and just funny guys uh, the entire time playing the brokers. Uh, so I had a really good time. I also read like six books because I had a lot of downtime. Um, and uh, that was great. Uh, Mr. Scorsese uh, is a wonderful, funny, easy-to-laugh, insanely intelligent man. And as soon as you get past the idea that, oh, my God, I'm working for Martin Scorsese. He's just a great dude. Um, we don't have coffee. It's not like, you know, he's like my bud, but I, I respect <laughs> him. And, and I was shocked at how supportive he is and, and how easy to laugh he is. Does he give notes in a very specific way? How does getting notes from him differ from other directors outside of the fact that you have to sort of swallow? That's Martin Scorsese talking to me. Uh <laughs> You know, I can't sort of qualify it. I feel like everyone's different. He would sort of come up to you quietly and tell you something uh, or give you some sort of secret or idea. Uh, he also really, we improved almost that whole movie, so it was the in exact opposite of Newsroom, uh, where we stuck totally to the script. So he would just come up and say, all right, do whatever you want here. Like, hey, why don't you go over to Jonah and have a conversation about this right now? And you just sort of go with it. So that was very fun and freeing and not at all what, what I was expecting. I, I want to change it up a little bit. Tell me about your worst audition experience. Oh, God, there's so many. Uh, the truth is, uh, my worst audition experiences are often the ones where I'm bad. Uh, the ones where I cry on the street afterwards, it's usually not because someone was so mean to me. It's simply because I was not doing good work and feel bad about myself and feel like I'm a total fraud. Um, I've had the audition or two where somebody takes a phone call in the room during your audition. I've been cut off after two lines. Um, I had a commercial audition once where I walked in and they said, okay, now just sit down and start crying, which I think is one of the most unhelpful uh, directions to give. Uh, but, yeah, most of the auditions I feel worst about are auditions where I just feel like I did a bad job, and those are, those are frequent. Do you feel like you've changed the way you've auditioned from when you were first starting? I think I have more confidence. Uh, and I also think, you know, when you first start out, especially coming from a BFA program where my main focus was classical theater, 
you know, I had this idea of who I was supposed to be in the room and what I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to look and how I was supposed to talk. And I've sort of let go of all of that. Um, besides, like, don't project into the mic, which I used to do, I feel like I just relaxed the idea that I had to be anything other than who I was and what I thought this character was about, as opposed to trying to go in and match some idea of, of uh, oh, what does the director want? Or, you know, they, they either want you or they don't. You know, you trying to be somebody else is not going to um, get you the job because they're just going to hire that somebody else who is that person. Are there things you feel every actor should know that no one tells you about when you're first breaking in? I think the most helpful thing is define success for yourself because if you continue to define success by sort of the industry view of success, uh, you will always be looking up and feeling less than. And if you sort of can make your own definitions of, of what a successful life looks like, whether that's you know, doing regional theater or doing audio books and once in a while doing a TV show. Um, there's so many ways to earn a little money in this business. That's also something I wish someone taught me about from like going and being somebody's fake patient at a hospital to doing an audio book for Jennifer Weiner. Uh, you know, there's, there's many options out there. And if you, if you define success as I will be on a you know, a hit TV show or a movie star, inevitably you're probably going to be disappointed and feel bad about yourself. Is there anything you would change about your career? Is there anything you would do differently in hindsight? No. I mean, I feel like every, I feel like I'm so positive today. You're catching me in a really good mood, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is, I feel like um, even the jobs, like I've pulled out of jobs that have gone on to be, to make that girl uh, a star, or I've, you know, made the wrong decision on things. But ultimately, the job that I did take, even if it was terrible, I met someone who changed my life. And I feel like ultimately, it all, it all works out. I mean, we're not doing brain surgery here. We're, this is a fun, exciting career to have. And um, yeah, even if I've made missteps, I don't really worry about it. Is being a working actress what you expected it to be? No, no, no. <laughs> I think that everyone thinks it's going to be easy for them. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. The school that I went to, everyone goes and talks to us from the Guthrie. And I'm walking up my five flights of stairs right now. Sorry. Um, everyone talks to the Guthrie students and basically says, like, if you can do anything else, do it. You know? And I think that's sort of a load of shit. And... Uh, everybody thinks they're the exception. So it's completely different. Oh my God, I'm so much okay. um, It's completely different. And I work much harder than I expected. And I feel like being unemployed is a really tough thing for an actor. And that's something my agent always says, being unemployed is your job. So get right with it. And as soon as you start to make money as, a, as an actor, even if it's just enough to get by, that's, you've already made it. Well, and you're in a situation now. How many episodes of You're the Worst did you do? We did 10. Um, and I think even if we go a second season, it'll always be 10. Yeah, so you're going to have a lot of downtime where you need to fill income or fill just time to do things. How do you plan on yeah. handling that? I mean, you know, it, it's hard. At first, you just want to fill the sadness of the job ending with another job, um, which is not really the most creative or helpful way to 
think about getting a job. Like, just give me something so that I don't feel sad. Uh, That's a good sales but, pitch in an interview or an audition, too. You know, please, God, hire me so I'm not depressed. Um, you know, I think you just get back to your real life. And uh, when you're shooting, you're so consumed by the shooting. You you spend sometimes 16 hours a day on set, and you're so tired on the weekends. You don't see a ton of friends, and you don't do a lot of things. So when I'm unemployed, I try to fill my days with my friends and my husband and, you know, doing fun stuff and exploring the city again. And there are days when I sit in bed and feel sorry for myself for no reason, but but mostly you just got to sort of drag yourself out of that. Um, and, you know, hopefully you get another job. Uh, I have gotten to the point where I'm, I don't, even if I want it to come faster, I know that I'll work again. It doesn't mean that I'll work in the job that I want that moment, but I will have a job again. And so I'm trying, trying to just enjoy the downtime when I have it. And lastly, for young actresses who are trying to break in, what advice would you give them? You know, I probably did everything wrong coming to the city. I didn't take classes with casting directors or or sort of do the networking stuff. I think everyone's path is different and just, you know, find the, I, I said it before, but find your version of success and, uh, and go for that. And don't be swayed by what society thinks or your aunt, you know, it's like, well, I, you, you weren't on TV or you weren't on Broadway. Um, and then follow the people that you love. Uh, I feel like I, I stalk the writers and the scripts and the, plays and the directors that I love and um, even if they're nobody even if they're someone who has never done anything before if you respond to someone else's work follow them and ultimately you'll get to do the things that you want to do you've been listening to Aya Cash you can join Stephen Falk and follow her on Twitter at maybe Aya Cash and check her out on FX's new show You're the Worst Aya thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today thank you sorry I was so out of breath 